Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. After 20 years of performing in front of the camera, including roles in the massively successful Band of Brothers and Ned Kelly, he has recently directed and produced the incredible film Boiling Point, and he is now working on his new film called Accused. My very special guest this week on One for the Road is just the loveliest guy, so please welcome Mr. Philip Barantini. Good morning, Phil. How are you, mate? I'm great, man. Yeah, I've had two coffees. I'm good. And you just got over COVID as well. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, I didn't have it too bad, but yeah, you know, it's just a, a one of them things, isn't it? You get you 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 feel a bit a bit dodgy, and then you do a test, and it's like positive, and then it just ruins everything, doesn't it? I know. And you're a busy man as well. Yeah. Um, I was looking back at your history, right? And and you've done mm. so much, honestly, because you've been an actor as well. Uh, using yeah. Band of Brothers that um, I, yeah. I remember buying the box set of that and it came in a tin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was in my drinking days and I used to put it on. I loved it, but I could never remember it the next day. Cause <laughs> yeah. Always drinking, you know, uh, yeah. and Ned Kelly, Chernobyl, yeah. but of course every actor's got to be in the bill. Doctors oh yeah. Yeah. yeah casualty, yeah. right? <laughs> the, tr- the trilogy. <laughs> yeah done them done them all yeah and and now you're director producer um mm. and you directed villain which is a fantastic film i love that i really oh, did me you, and mate. my son watched that and craig fairbrass is is one of my legends because he reminds me of my upbringing as well and boiling yeah. point which we're going to come on to <clears> later <throat> because i actually watched that last night and I need to come on to that. So let's make cool. this more about you, mate. Um, I saw you on the telly the other day talking about your life and your mm. sobriety in that. And I reached out and you kindly enough um, agreed to come on to this podcast. So let's wind yeah, it back, mate, and and tell me how it was for you growing up and, and where it all began, really. I had a, I had a great um, time growing up. You know, I was I grew up in Liverpool uh, in a small place called Heighton, you know, relatively small town, really. Um my parents were amazing. Uh, they weren't in the business at all. Like they, they, my dad had his own uh, property business, and he was he had a, he was a, an upholsterer for many years as well, following on my granddad's footsteps. Uh, and my mum, she sadly passed away. Um, it's coming up to six years now. Um, but she, like she, she was just such a free spirit. Like you know, she was uh, just the life and soul of the party. You know, but looking back, actually, I think that's where you know my sort of drinking came from is the fa- that side of the family because me mum and me nan were both quite heavy drinkers but back in the day in the in the 80s and 90s it was a you know half a bottle of vodka every night was fine you know she used to have me pouring it for her you know i would be this 10 yeah. year old kid or whatever she'd go go and get me a double vodka and, and uh slimline tonic 
and I'd be out there with her, you know, pouring it for her. Um, free so, yeah. pouring as well. So it's never yeah, double, yeah, yeah. is yeah. it? Oh, no, 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 no. Free pouring, free pouring. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, had a fantastic time growing up. And then, you know, back when, when I was about, um, I think I must have been like 13 or 14, my, my auntie, my great auntie actually took me to this, um, <clears throat> the Granada Studios in Manchester. It's it's not it's not there now. They've moved now. But to do a uh, like a a set tour, and you could go around the building and, and see how it all, was all made and stuff like that. Coronation Street, the set Coronation Street was was there, and you could go and see how that all was all sort of put together and made. And and it just blew my mind seeing all that, you know. And I think that was the sort of seed planted then for me, sort of going into that industry, you know. And yeah, just I was just obsessed then by you know how things are made and and sort of. Um, you know actors and how they you know yeah. I, I used to love watching like behind the scenes of stuff i remember like uh jurassic park when that first came out there was like a behind the scenes sh- like thing on 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 a, on the, the vhs or whatever it was and you could see how it was made and i was just like oh my god this is just yeah ma- it's just magical you know so that's what that's how it started for me really um but yeah i you know went to school in and just yeah, but I had a great, great childhood, really great upbringing. But then I, I moved to London when I was seventeen. I uh, got my first acting gig when I was fifteen uh, in a in a small. I had a small part in this like BBC one-off film. It was it was called Big Cat with uh, David Morrissey, and I played David Morrissey as a in flashbacks as a young fifteen-year-old kid. I had this like ginger wig on and stuff and I had to have blue blue contact lenses. It was amazing. <laughs> and um and then uh and then off the back of that I, I moved to London uh, to do a show called Dream Team. <clears throat> and I was 17 and you know, talking about drinking and stuff, I think well, I know that's when it all started for me because you know, I'm on this show with older actors and you know, people who are much more um, you know, sort of yeah, m- much more mature and older than me, and I'm and I'm sort of trying to yeah, I'm going out with them and influence in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was just a thing then to do, you know what I mean? Because you, you, you're earning for me as, as a, I was 17, I'd moved to London, I was earning the best money out of all my mates. So I then, you know, I'd come home at weekends because I didn't really know that many people in London at the time. So I'd always come home at the weekends and I'd take all my mates out. I was earning like at the time, I think it was like 800 quid a week. That's a lot then, isn't it? It's a lot. Yeah. But in the 1998, that was 97, 98. And I, so, you know, I'm taking all my mates out for drinks and then it just one thing leads to another. And you then, you know, before you know it, it's got you around the neck, you know, and you, and you, and you sort of, um, you know, you know, 15 years later, whatever, you're completely reliant on it at times. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, it's just becomes a, you know, I remember when I was about 17, I used to work in a, a carpet shop in Wimbledon Broadway, right? And oh, yeah, yeah. It was really like old-fashioned back then. Mm. And the theatre was over the road, so you used to get all the actors going over to this bar called What's It's Wine Bar, right? And in those days, you didn't need ID or anything, so every now and again, I'd creep in there, and Oliver Reed used to go in there. Oh, wow. Because he lived in the village, right? And um, mm. and he used to arm wrestle everyone. It was part of his thing, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And he was always buying everyone a drink, you know, whoever walked in, what do you mm. want to drink and whatever. And I gave him an arm wrestle and lost on purpose, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but I looked up at him like this this mature man that drank and had friends around him. And it was this this imagery of mm. drinking and you know, and, and I, for me, I'd already started drinking when I was 14, but mm. that was very impressionable 
football for me at that age. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's exactly the feeling I had. I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. You know, I'm, I'm part of this, uh, almost like this club now where you can go out to these fancy members bars and clubs mm. and stuff like that with these people. And it's, it's, you know, it's cool to be part of this crowd. So when, when did it start to escalate your drinking then? Well, when we, when we were, I did dream, it was a show called dream team. I moved to London for, I did that for two years and then, I'm, and then I started and then I went straight on to band of brothers. So I was, um, you know, 19, almost 20 doing Band of Brothers with, again, all of these sort of slightly older lads. I was the youngest cast member. So again, you know, they're in the like, you know, mid twenties or whatever. So they're, you know, partying a lot. And, and I'd already had this experience partying and with, with the dream team lot. And then that, that sort of took it to another level. Cause then we would like, we would all literally, you know, probably 20, 30 of us, we would all have our own uh, drivers. So we'd finish work and we were filming this in Hatfield most of Band of Brothers were all filmed in Hatfield and we were all living in London. So we, we'd go in, like we'd all have our drivers. So all our cars would be like parked up in convoy and we'd all get in and we all got free memberships for some reason. I don't know why. And we all got free memberships to Soho house. This is before Soho house was what it is today. Yeah. You know, it was like sort of what, there was only one house and it was the one in, one in, um, uh, is it Dean street? I can't remember. Yeah, we belong to that. I know. Greek street, I think. Yeah. 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 Me too now, but it's, it's like back then it was just this exclusive one yeah, venue, right. you know? So we'd all go in convoy there, you know, we'd wrap at six o'clock. We'd it'd take us an hour to get into to town. We'd all be there. We'd have our food and we'd have, and then we'd just get absolutely annihilated Yeah. until like, you know, two, three, four in the morning. And then we'd have to go back to work the next day. Not every day, but most days we would go there. It was like our thing, you know. And I think, um, yeah, that's when it sort of it just sort of became like a normal thing because everyone, everybody else was doing it, you know. Yeah. And then it gets to a point when you're like, you know, only sort of in my later, like I, I was doing incredibly well acting, and then it got I got really complacent and and drinking and and, and everything else took over really. Um, and I st- started to, I, I suppose it was. I think like after Ned Kelly, maybe I was a bit of a mess and I wasn't going for auditions. I wasn't turning up. I wasn't, I wasn't learning the lines. I wasn't, you know, um, and, and so, you know, you think you're sort of not invincible, but you think you're, you're, you're almost like, okay, I'm going to get the job because that's how it's happened. Yeah. Cause I never trained as an actor. Yeah. I sort of just fell into it and was incredibly lucky really, but yeah, it became quite complacent and, you know, and then, and then the work started to fizzle out and I needed to make some money. I needed to live. And so I started working in kitchens and I'm working as a chef. Um, ah, that's yeah. where it fits in later on. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But um, you, you met Stephen Graham, Band of Brothers, right? That's where we met, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where we initially met. And we were both two Scousers just on this show and, you know, we, we connected and then we stayed in touch loosely. <clears throat> but I think when my mum passed away, we we sort of connected, reconnected again, but on a much more spiritual level and much more. I don't know. We just we just became really really close. Mm. Then. And so yeah, so we've been we've been really close mates for about probably about yeah seven years. I'd say six or seven years. But but um, I've been sober seven years in March. But yeah, it's just uh, it's just mad looking back, you know. No, I know. And when you say about not getting the work, you were quite successful at quite a young age. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. And you get on this roller coaster, don't you? That you feel that you're invincible, absolutely. And you're untouchable as well. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah, you know, I would, I would like, I would literally walk into auditions thinking I've got the job already, and 
I don't need to make, I don't need to put the effort in really. And that was my, that was the way I thought really. Um, but when, when you started working in the kitchens, that, that was, you know, a bit of a step down. Did you realize then that your drinking was the reason for that or had become that much of a problem? Uh, well, no, not at the time because I blamed everybody else. Right. I would literally be like an angry, uh, out of work actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who, who was sort of blaming, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd watch things. I'd be angry at my agent. I'd watch things and be like, why is he in that? He's shit. Yeah. I should, I'd be much better at that, you know, thinking it's all just got to come to me on a plate and I, I don't need to put the work in. And it just became quite a, and, and then, and then it's like a vicious, vicious cycle, isn't it? You know, you sort of, <clears throat> you're down in, in the dumps or you, you, you're sort of angry at the world. And so you self-medicate. Yeah. So and you're angry with yourself as well, aren't you? Absolutely. Because, yeah. Ultimately. Like, yeah. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. It, you're reflecting how you feel about yourself, um, self-loathing. And, and because I can really yeah. relate to the anger that I used to blame everyone else around my misery, you know, and, yeah. and it, it was everyone else's fault. So, yeah. So how bad did your drinking get then at that point? Well, then when I started working in kitchen, yeah, at one point it was, you know, for me, it was like I was a social drinker and I was out, but I was out most, most nights. Yeah. You know, and then when I started working in kitchens, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember working for someone and it was like, oh, they're having a drink during service yeah. or they'd, they'd go in, they'd, you know, they'd go and have a break. They'd work, we'd work in the morning, uh, you know, from six to do the breakfast or whatever it was. And then you go and have your, your lunch, you break, and then you come back and do the dinner service in the night. But on that break, you'd be three or four pints yeah. or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? And then you come back. And then you just continue to drink, depending on where I was working. I had all the bar staff under me thumb, you know what I mean? I'd be like, just all it would be, just like a look or a little wink or something. And they'd know exactly what, what I meant. And they'd bring me like a red wine in a, in a, in a coffee cup or, or, you know, a Jack and Coke in a, in, a, in a mug or whatever. And it just continued to, you know, I just continued drinking through the service. And, you know, there would be moments where you're like, you can, I was functioning doing it. But then there'd be other times when you just overdo it a bit and you just think, looking back i'm like how the hell did i get through that you know but yeah I, I, it was again just like i was still angry because i wasn't i because at this point i'm still you know i'm i'm, I'm you know I, I worked my way from the bottom in the kitchen and i'm working my way to the top and i, I became a, a head chef after about 12 years about 10 years sorry and then and then it was and then i did it for for a couple of years and then and i sort of i started to i became a consultant you know after that and after i stopped drinking it just wasn't the same I just didn't have the same love for it. You know, it was, it's weird, but like, you know, you finish work of a night and f see my, my problem was I didn't like doing it on my own. I didn't like to be, Oh, I, I'm the only one doing this. I'm doing it sneakily. So I used to drag everyone else in with me mm. and I'd be like, come on, especially when I was a head chef or someone in, in charge, you know, I'd be like, so I right, come on. Well, yeah, I'll get a drink, have a drink, go on. You, let's have a drink, start the night off, you know, let's have a shot or whatever. All because I didn't want to be doing it on my own. I didn't want people to think, Oh, he's, He's sneakily, problem. yeah. He's got a problem, yeah. yeah. He's sneakily having a drink there. What? What? Yeah. You know, Ena enabling to others to totally. have your own thing, and, and I can relate to that because whenever people come over to our house, it would be like I would buy enough booze for a party of a hundred. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and as yeah, soon yeah. as they got there, if, even if it's half eleven in the morning, oh, do you want a beer, mate? Blah blah blah. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it's a bit. Oh, no, go and have one, son. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, they would last all day, and I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be di drinking double 
Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'll be yeah. being put to bed at six o'clock, literally legless, and they're still pacing because I, I was just helping myself then. Yeah, yeah. So what changed then? I, I mean, honestly, I got to a point where I was I hated myself so much and I was really tired and, you know, for years, I mean, and I mean years that, you know, over the years, there'd be people saying to me things like, mate, you should maybe just, you know, calm down a bit or knock it on the head. You know what I mean? It's just as, as friends, they'd be saying that to me. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're right. I should. Yeah, I will. I will do actually. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. But deep down inside, I never really wanted to do that. And I, and I knew that I probably never would. And then it got to a point when I'd just got married uh, to my wife and we've been married almost a year. And during the time that we were going out and stuff like that, we met like drinking and, you know, and partying and stuff like that. And then, then my sort of drinking and, and everything else became, you know, a bit too much for her. And I'd be working in kitchens and like, you'd be, you'd sort of finish work and then you go, okay, we'll have a drink now. Everyone sits, sits around the bar and has a drink, all the staff. And I'd be enabling everyone to stay. Mm. And then we'd be staying there. It'd be five o'clock in the morning. She'd be ringing me. Where are you? Where are you? I'm, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm coming home now. I'm coming home now. I'm coming home now. And, you know, got, she got, she, she used to get herself in terrible states because of me and, you know, having panic attacks and all that kind of stuff. And um, it, it all came to a head and, you know, we'd been married almost a year, not even a year, not even that actually, it was probably less, six months maybe. And um, she just left, mm. went back to her mum's. And I remember just sitting in the flat in London at, at, on my own, just being like, you know, surrounded by all this just shit and just, you know, and I just thought, I just, I don't know what it was. I just, me, something in my brain was like, I do not want to do this anymore. I've had enough. I've had enough. And so I, um, I went and, and spoke to a friend of mine who, who knew this because I, I, I tried, I'd gone to meetings in the past, but that was when I didn't really want to go. I was, I was going because people were saying, oh, go, go and go to a meeting. Just go, go, you know, you, you, you know, go, you should go. All right, I'll go. All right, all right, all right, I'll go. And I used to go in there and be like, I, I, this is, I'm not, I don't need to be here. Yeah. I don't need to be here. But I really did. <laughs> and so I decided to, to try a one-on-one counsellor. And so a, a friend of mine had recommended um, a guy called Chip Summers, who's just the most wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, and Chip is a, is a, uh, an addiction counselor. He's, you know, he's quite well known. You know, he's he's, he's got a lot of um, high profile people out of addiction and stuff like that, and helped them. Um, and so, my very first meeting with Chip, uh, you know, he's not he's not cheap, like, but but I was, you know, when you weigh it up, I was spending a lot more money on on the on my um, addictions and, and habits and stuff that that I that I would have been spending with him trying to help me out, you know. So I went to have the first meeting with him. And I literally came out of that meeting like I felt like I was floating. Mm. And I know I'm incredibly lucky that something in my brain just switched. I don't know what it was, but I just came out of that meeting just being like, that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I am done. And it's not been easy. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, you know, every day is, you just don't know. But, but I'm, you know, almost seven years down the line and I'm. Do you know what, mate? That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I knew I had to do something about it and I kept going on and on and on saying, it was almost like the boy that cried wolf to my wife. Yeah, you know, I yeah, kept yeah. saying to her, 
I know I've got to do something about it, and she's probably thinking, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before. Absolutely. But it's one day, it changed for me. Mm. It, it was like that magical moment of I got up and that was it. I was done. And that's the miracle of it, isn't it? Yeah. That one yeah, day you think, I can never get out of this, and the handcuffs are so tight that you just feel a slave to this addiction. The next, you've ripped them off. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it can take one person to say one thing, or you can see something, or you can wake up and feel. And there's the hope there in there, yeah. Phil, that, you know, we're not all tied to this thing. No. We're proof that actually things can change. Yeah. So how did you find the first few weeks of that? Did you, like, struggle or was you continuing to work with Chip weekly or...? Yeah, I was working with Chip weekly um, and he sort of kept me going. And, and I, I don't really see him that much now. We, we're in contact, you know, and he's, he's always there. I always know he's there for me and he'll always answer the phone or whatever, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, see, I used to see him weekly. Um, <clears throat> you know, you put yourself through little tests and things like that and, you know, and, like, like one of the one of the other things as well, like I, I will say, is that my you know people would say to me, "Is Carly going to stop drinking as well?" Then because you know she likes to drink as well. I mean, she she doesn't really drink that much, but like you know, certain people in my life were like, "Well, you know, surely she she should stop as well." And I'm like, "No, I don't. I don't want her to. She she doesn't she doesn't need to. Like I, I don't want to. That's a self, that would be selfish of me. Mm. It's my problem, and I need to deal with it." Um, and so, you know, I would, and it's so, and you'll know this as well. It's so weird how you've suddenly got all of these mates and all of these, you know, uh, acquaintances and all these people around you. And then as soon as you stop and it's, and it becomes a serious thing and it's not just a, a phase, they're all sort they all sort of fizzle out and you don't mm-hmm. really, because I think it's like holding a mirror up to them a little bit, you know, cause if, cause if, if I can do it, maybe they need to to do something about it. Yeah, you know? I agree, I agree, mate. And I've, I've also thought that actually you know, I've tried to reverse the roles and wonder how I would be when I was drinking and a mate give up. And I'll probably be the same, you know, Yeah. yeah. because you're not in the same kind of club, are you? And you're not aligned. That's it, no, exactly, I'd rather yeah. go for, with you for a big hike somewhere on yeah. a Sunday morning at 7am and have a coffee and that and yeah. go off with our day then go to the pub at midday and get spend the whole day getting slaughtered in the pub, you know. Yeah. So you just change direction. It's a bit like moving yeah. house, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're all like, oh yeah, we're staying touch and that, and you rarely do. You go exactly, off the yeah. way, and, and yeah. that's behind you. So so yeah. seven years ago, and look how things have changed, man. It's like, <sighs> yeah. Where would you be now if you were still drinking? I often think that the same with me. It's like I've done so much in my sobriety and that with a positive mind. And yeah, do I tell everyone what you've done because it's it's fantastic? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I like like I said earlier, I was I was acting and stuff like that, and then but I'd always wanted to direct like for many years, but never I never had the confidence to do it. I always thought, nah, that's not for me. I'm just some some kid from Heighton in Liverpool, you know directing is for the educated people who've you know who, who've been to film school and all that kind of stuff and i just sort of put it put it to one side and thought no nah, that doesn't that'll never be me and then and then when i when i got sober and and i'd been sober a year and it was going great and actually the first the first year was that was tough because you know i'm ready i'm sober where's the auditions come on i'm yeah. I'm ready now where, where, where's the work come on let's go yeah. <laughs> but it but but i've burned so many bridges <laughs> along yeah. the way yeah. that 
it wasn't just going to change overnight. And so it was a tough, it was a tough year. And then, and then my mum sadly passed away quite suddenly. She was, she, she was, she was ill, but she, but, but, the, but she passed away. It was, it was, it was very, very sudden and, and, and really shocking for all of us, all the family and stuff. And um, obviously my family and, and all my friends and my wife and everyone were just like, Oh shit, he's going to go off the rails here now. He's going to go back to drinking and back to, back to his old ways. And, and actually, that really horrific thing that happened in my life opened something in my my mind and and, and my just made me maybe think you know what life is so short what the hell have I got to lose let me just go for my dreams and and see what see what happens yeah. let me jump off this cliff and just see what happens you know uh, you know uh, and so so I decided to give directing a go and I, and I directed you know after after a bit of time of thinking about it and you know, I'd asked some, I'd asked some friends and producer friends, like, what's the, what's the route I should take? Do you think I should go to film school and study it and stuff? And like one of Bart Rusboli, who's the producer of uh, Boiling Point, he was in Band of Brothers with us as well, so he's, he's a really old friend of mine. He was like, mate, you've you've been you've been doing film school for the last twenty odd years as as, a, as an actor. You don't need to go to film school. You, you understand how it all works, right? You've been on sets all your life. I was like, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. He said so. He said, and everyone's blagging it. Everyone. We're all blagging it. I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a go. So, so I, I found this this script which a friend of mine had written. He he, he sent me this script, uh, Robbie O'Neill, about a young boxer who's suffering with uh, with mental health and and suicide attempts suicide and and then goes to see a therapist. And I just thought, wow, this is this is really speaks to me. This short and it's be- it was beautifully written. And I said to him, I'd love to direct this and he's an he's a, an actor friend of mine a fantastic actor and he was a bit like oh i don't know you've never really done anything before and i was like no no but but i, I this is you know i feel like i could do this and you know long story short he, he basically said okay let's do it let's give it a go and then then we got it made and and that was it for me that was being on set as an as a director was just like this is what i feel like i've been working all those years as an actor for mm. Home, in my craft, or whatever you want to call it, and you know, having all that experience on set was for this moment, and and now this is this is it. This is this is my this is what I'm going to do now. And there's absolutely no way I would ever be where I am now if I hadn't stopped drinking. You know, my mum would have you know passed away, and I probably would have gone even further down down the dark hole. You know, I, I got, you know, God knows where I'd be. God knows where I'd be. But but my mum's there with me every day. Like every day, I feel her presence, and and she is literally pushing me forward every day. Mm. It's just like you know, you talk about higher power and all that stuff. That she is my higher power, and she is the one driving me forward. Yeah, mate, we have got a lot in common because really? my mum died in 2018, and I was oh, probably sorry, at the peak, peak of my drinking. And um, yeah. at her funeral, it really hit me. Mm. Um, I was with her when she died. I was holding right. her hand when yeah. she passed. And her husband, John, had um, arranged this beautiful afternoon tea. And I got there and I went up to the barmaid and I said, um, if I give you my card, can we have some wine as well? And it was a joke, mate. I, I was mm. drinking red, white, rosé, went back to John's drinking vodka. Like, mm. And then on the way home, my wife was driving and I was just gone you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had a dream that my mum, I met my mum in the dream, but it, wow. it wasn't like a dream. It, it was like an experience yeah. that yeah, I can't yeah. explain. And she, she was about 40 years old. She was immaculate 
and, and mm. she had this this dress on with this collar with buttons down the front, immaculate shoes and that. And I went, Mum. And she said, I'm okay, David. I want you to know I'm okay. And it was shortly after that that I stopped. Wow. And Got goosebumps. Yeah. So when you say she's with your mum's with you every day, that's how I feel. I, I feel yeah. she's given me that push up. Yeah. to be able to do this because like you, I just stopped. Yeah. And right. I feel she's had a word with whoever it was and said, look, this lad of mine needs a little bit of help. And can we give it to him? Because <laughs> that's yeah. how I feel, you know, and it's propelled me in a whole new direction. Mm-hmm. Of positivity in my life. Like I've embraced yeah. it completely. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I can tell by you talking, mate, that how close you were to your mum as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's just like you look back as well and think like during the height of my drinking and and whatnot, I would I was living in London, but she was still in Liverpool. I'd come home for the weekends, fully, you know, saying to her, I'm coming home for the weekend, I'll stay at yours. And I'd stay there as I'd drop my bags off and go out with my mates. And I'd come in at five in the morning and then I'd be in bed all day. Yeah. And she'd make me breakfast and then I'd be like, oh, you know, I don't really feel like it. I'm not, I'm not hungry. And then I'd go back out again. And looking back, you know, it's like, oh, man, I wish. All, all that time. Yeah. W- wasted, like yeah. really wasted. And, and you know, I th- and, and I do feel like I, I, I felt incredibly guilty for many years. And, but, but, I, but I feel like, she, I mean, she's absolutely with me now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, and, you know, she is driving me forward, like I said. It's, it's it's so funny not funny but we we, we basically there was a me me brother for some reason uh had a voice note of me mum me mum me mum was late 50s and she was diagnosed with a, a sort of rare case of dementia called um frontotemporal dementia which which is a it affects younger <clears throat> people and it's uh it's not like a memory dementia it is eventually but it affects the frontal lobe of the brain, which is your motor system, your motor skills and, and that kind of thing. So, so she started to, you know, at first we thought she was drunk all the time. Mm. We were looking for bottles everywhere. Cause you know, like I said, she, she did have a drink problem and back in, back, back in the day, it wasn't deemed as a, as a, as an issue cause everybody was at it, you know? <clears throat> and then we thought, you know, that, that, that's what it was. So for, for, we, we didn't diagnose it for, for about four years and even a, a doctor didn't, couldn't diagnose it. Um, as I say, it was quite a, quite a rare case of, of dementia. So after four years, you know, she's starting to get worse and worse. And, um, and, you know, she, I was, I wasn't there. I was, you know, drinking and not being there for her and then sort of like angry really because she was ill and she was a different person and it was affecting her every everything about her really she wasn't the life and soul anymore she was becoming a, like this like she'd say things that would be a bit embarrassing and you and, and and now i know what it it was this disease you know and i wasn't there when she passed um she she actually the way she passed was she she she, she apparently come downstairs in the morning for a co- make to make a coffee and she walked back up the stairs and she had a coffee cup in her hand and a, and a mobile phone in the other hand and um and because she because of her motor skills she she fell backwards and she'd done this a couple of times before she fell backwards at the top of the stairs all the way to the bottom and and there was the floor was tiled and she's hit her head and 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 that's how she's she's sort of ultimately gone but um i was in spain at the time in my cousins and i had to fly back and you know i knew she'd passed away but i um on that flight that was the obviously the worst 
you know, hour, a couple of hours of my life. I was with my wife at the time, which was amazing. And I, I wrote, which I've still got on my phone, in my notes. I just wrote to her. Like, I just felt compelled to talk to her. And I wrote to her and I just said, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I actually feel, I actually felt like I was talking to, I was writing to her and I, and I felt like she was, she could hit, she, mm. it was such a, it was just a mad, um, I, well, I can't explain it. You know, mm. I'm on this flight and everyone around me is like happy to just come back from holiday. Right. And so everyone's happy and, you know, holiday uh, mode. I'm sat at the back of the plane with my wife in absolute bits. And it just felt like everything around me was just slow, slowing down. It was like, this is weird experience as I'm writing this, this note in my phone. And, um, and I just, I don't know why I just, I felt like I, I, I had a bit of a weight lifted really. And then I got back to, I got to the house and see my family and I absolutely broke down. But, you know, I think all the time I feel like she's there, but when my brother, my brother had this voice note from her, from a, from a few weeks prior, basically saying, what's your favorite song? I think it was a voice mail. Yeah. And she said it was, um, her favorite song is uh, Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. So we played that at a funeral. We had a, we had a, a gospel choir at a funeral and played Three Little Birds. And we, me, so, and me and my wife, uh, and my auntie and, and my wife's mum, we went and did this uh, Alzheimer's walk in London. We did one in London and one in, um, in, in Liverpool. <clears throat> and so we just did this beautiful walk around London. And when we come to the finish line, Three little birds just playing over the speakers. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm not joking. We all just like, I just collapsed on my knees and broke down. I was like, oh, there she is, you know. And then we did the same walk in Delamere Forest in, in, in just outside Liverpool. Oh, and there's a big group of us this time, all of our mates and all the family and stuff. Again, and I know it's probably, there's probably a, a soundtrack on loop, but as soon as we literally stepped over the finish line, that song came on again. And I was like, Oh, every and everyone around was just like clapping and all that kind of stuff and they knew she'd be here mm. and there's been so many occasions so i mean i've called my production company three little birds uh pictures and there's been so many occasions where we um like for example my wife a few, a few months ago my wife we had the radio playing in the background and my wife was you know she she's in um uh, in the entertainment industry she she like um puts on shows and stuff like that and she uh her business was had gone to pop because of COVID over the last couple of years. It's now thankfully picking up a lot, but um, she was like, Oh, str- I don't know what's going to do with the business and all this. I'm struggling. Three little birds came on on the radio. I'm like, you don't have to worry. I know. You don't have to worry. It's all going to be fine. That's mad. Isn't it? Lo- and it's happened so many times. Another one talking about villain. We were going for the screen in a villain in, um, in the Charlotte street hotel. And I'm sat at the bar waiting for the producer to come and I'm so, and it was a, it was a, it was a screening to try and sell the film to various, to, to whoever, you know, would want to take it. So we had all these big distribution labels coming down and press and stuff like that. And I'm sat there having a coffee in the, in the bar there on my own and um waiting for the producer. And I'm just sat there and I started thinking about my mum thinking, Oh, please, you know, help me out here. Let me make, let's have a good sale. Let's, let's get the film out there. And three little birds came over that I've literally, I recorded it on my phone. Because I sent it to my brothers, I recorded the video and going, "You're not going to believe this," and it's on there. And I was like, "Wow!" And then we we sold the film that that night, and yeah, it's just and and I think it's absolutely lovely that like you've named your production company, yeah, that as well. Every time I hear that, I'm going to think about your mum now. Yeah, well, you know, she's there. 
It's amazing, mate. I love to hear yeah. things like that because of my experience with my mum. You know, I mm-hmm. thought people would say to me, you've gone mad. But actually, it, it, it's quite common, actually, just yeah. shortly after they pass that they visit you. And it's not like they're going to just stand in your bedroom when you get out of the shower because you'd be petrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but, mate, listen, moving on to Boiling Point, I saw it last night. And it wasn't just because you were on today. I've been saving it up. So I knew I had the proper time to watch it. And from the start to the end, it was a journey. And it was, and I'm not just saying this, mate, one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Because I was in that restaurant. I was working in that restaurant. I was Mm. eating in that restaurant. I was putting the bins out the back. Mm. You know, I could really relate to all the different characters. Biggest characters Stephen Graham played. I knew exactly what was going on because yeah. of what I'm like. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and well, we all know what an absolutely brilliant actor he is. But I, it, it reminded me at the end of the chaos of my drinking days. And that's what I got out of it the most. It, you know, like mm. there were all the teams like Table 7 I was really stressed about. And then yeah. Jason Fleming, by the way, in the, mm. in the um, he was the famous celebrity chef. I met him at a, at a wedding, right? Oh, yeah. When I was drinking. And, and he said to me, fans are getting pissed. I went, <laughs> yeah, all right, then. <laughs> and we got absolutely hammered together and yeah. was dancing with Darren Brown and 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 uh, there was a scene in the film that he, he had the selfie with a free yeah, 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 yeah. and he did exactly the same stance <laughs> as he did with me years that ago his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's his thing almost standing oh, there like a boxer you know and yeah. he's a great lad oh he's but amazing it's tell, tell us a little bit about how how difficult that is to film that in one shot yeah, I mean, talk about putting yourself through stress. That was uh, the most I've ever uh, experienced. But we did we did a short film in 2018, almost as a, like a proof of concept, really, you know, to see whether it could be done. And that was one shot. That was 20 minutes, 22 minutes. And what we sort of got from that w- was the response from from that was like, you know, the 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 one take thing was was not a, a, a like a clever gimmick. It was more of and that's that was exactly what I wanted to go for was was it to not be a, a gimmick. I wanted it to be a feeling and you know an extra layer of tension and 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 you know so that the audience can't take their eyes off the screen and mm. you know if you cut that gives the audience a, a slight beat to sort of have a breather mm. and I didn't want that. I wanted the audience to go on the journey like what you just said. You were you were there. You were in it. You know. Mm. But but with that comes a lot of stress and a lot of, you know, you just got to prepare and make sure you, it's like, it's like, you know, I'd imagine it's like choreographing a dance routine or, you know, a ballet or putting on a play. It's the same sort of thing. You've just got to rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and, and, um, until, until you've got it in, in your head, like muscle memory for the camera operator, Matthew Lewis, who he's, you know, at the time he was 23 years old. We shot this in March, 2020, by the way. So COVID was like, you know, this looming cloud that was over us. And we were, we were, we were sort of, uh, this was before the first lockdown. We shot it the first, the first day was on the 16th of March and we were supposed to do four nights. Shoot, so we'd shoot it twice every night and we'd get the perfect take. We'd have eight takes and we could choose one of the, one of the takes as, as the film. <clears throat> so eight films really. And, um, 
the producers after the first night was, you know, they were like dress rehearsals really. Um, and I thought, okay, we've got six more goes of this. We're going to, we're going to nail it. But the producers came to me and were like, we're going to have to shut it down tomorrow because after tomorrow, because everyone's getting really nervous. The governments are now really sort of saying there's going to be a lockdown imminent. And we were like, you know, there's 150 odd people in one room at the, all at the same time. So it was a COVID nightmare and, you know, looking back. And so we, we, we did the, the, the two takes on the second night and it's the third take that we've used, but you know, yeah, during, during the takes, it was just, oh, just incredibly stressful, <laughs> you know, cause I'm sat there in front of a monitor watching it play out in real time. You know, I didn't want to, all my directing is done in the rehearsals, you know, giving the notes and, you know, talking to the actors and talking to the camera crew and the, and the sound team and stuff. All of that has to be done prior to the, to the shoot. It's not like a normal regular shoot where you, you, you can go, okay, cut, let's do that. And no, let's move on to this angle or, you know, give the notes as you're going along day by day. Yeah. It was just completely new. I'd never done it before apart from the short, but like, you know, even the short was, like I say, 20 minutes. This is an hour and a half and you, you, you know, you sort of don't want to, you don't want to drop the, drop the ball really, or you don't want anyone to drop the ball. So the, the, the tension that the audience are feeling when they're watching the film is how I was feeling times 10. I, 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 I can imagine, uh, uh, so imagine at the end, 10 minutes to go and there's a oh, cook-up. <laughs> I know. Do you know thankfully I mean? there wasn't like, uh, thankfully there was the actors and the crew and everyone involved were just so on it. It yeah. was just, it was just incredible. Like what an amazing team. And did um, like Stephen have training in that? And, and well, I can't remember her name now <laughs> in the film, the woman he worked Lynette. with that. Yeah, Bennett Robinson. Well, incredible. Yeah. yeah, well, we we had a we had a um a, a consultant on the film, Tom Brown, who's a fantastic chef. He um he sort of gave us the run of his restaurant for a couple of days, and they went in there and they learned how to chop and learned how to you know look as like chefs as best they could. We didn't have enough time to 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 sort of put them into training or like a boot camp type thing. So he was on set every day as well. So. You know, me having chef experience, I didn't want to, I wanted to focus on directing the actors' performances as opposed to being like, okay, showing them. So I, I wanted to get a, a real chef in that could, that I could hand that off to and go, okay, can you make them, you know, look like that? Or, you know, would they say that in that moment? Or what would, what would be the best way for them to mm. sort of move and stuff like that? So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really important that we had him on. And the same for the front of house as well. We had, um, Andy Jones, who's who's the owner of the restaurant, who's one of my oldest mates. He um he was on hand to, you know, to talk to any of the front of house people who play in waiters and stuff like that to, you know, talk them through how to carry plates or whatever it may be, you know. Um. So yeah, it was. Well, I mean, we had we had very very little time, very little money. So yeah, it's a miracle we uh, we we did it really. <laughs> Could you imagine if you were drinking uh, uh, the stress? Do you think you would have done it? <laughs> Absolutely not. No None. chance. No chance. I mean, you know, the film is loosely based on my experiences and and what I went through in the in, in when I was working as a chef. So, you know, a lot of Stephen's characters, things that he goes through, is what I what I was going yeah, through. Yeah, he he was in something. I'm racking my brains what it was now, but he he was recovering alcoholic in it. The virtues. The virtues. Oh, oh my incredible. god! The pain. I know, right? But, when when he was in the pub about oh and he ordered the Guinness 
Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. And he was sitting there, wasn't he, for five minutes yeah. or something, looking at it. Yeah. And uh, he's just got a way about him that, yeah. that is so real. And and I was, like, sitting there going, no, please, don't just get up and go out the pub. Just leave the pub. Just go, go, yeah. go, go. Yeah. And, and he drank it. But what came after that was so realistic. And yeah. the way then he become mates with everyone and was buying everyone rounds and he didn't have the money and yeah. then chaos. The way it was shot after where, where he was outside, the, all the lads carried him out and, and yeah. the, the toilet where the, uh, the publican was saying, look, you've got to pay the bob. It was really, I know. It was like, I was like a bag of nerves after it yeah <laughs> yeah me too it's just I mean, too too real isn't it too, it's too... too real he's got a lot to answer to that boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> so phil yeah. before we go mate what are you working on now I'm, i started prep uh on monday just gone last week on a new movie can't really say too much because it's getting announced this week coming week but it's a thriller it's um it's uh yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's an int- another intense, uh, oh, movie. God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's going to get announced this week, but, um, but I'm really excited about it. And then I'm doing something straight after that, um, a TV thing. And then, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just gone absolutely crazy. Like I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed by it all, but in a good way, you know, like I said, I, I jumped off the cliff and I advise anybody to do the same if you've got anything in your life that you feel like you want to give a go do it because mm. you just never know you just unless you try you will never know and it's like i just really i feel strongly about that because for you know like i said for years and years and years i just didn't have the comp- i just put myself in this like mm. you know that i put myself down basically but you know you can achieve absolutely anything you want and do you know how mate by re- removing one thing from your life oh yeah that's it that's it. That's that, that is it. The yeah. floodgates, mate. It, it, you know, like, and you start looking up and around yeah. you and seeing yeah, yeah, yeah. you rather than looking at the ground and why is me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's clear. I can just see yeah. you, how you are and whatever. It's been such a fantastic interview, mate. And because I just relate to so many things that have happened to you and I can see how far, you, you know, villain with Craig Fairbrass was a brilliant film absolutely brilliant and then another coincidence there is when i was growing up everyone used to call me dan from eastenders (laughs) i I used to walk around you you look like dan from eastenders and as we were talking before this craig reminds me of the lads that i grew up with you know rough and ready and whatever and my drinking days and whenever i see craig it brings me back memories of the good they're good days because they're not all terrible. No, no, of course. You know, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, I yeah. had some blinding nights out and yeah. weekends away with the lads. And when I see Craig, it's like, oh my God, he's just like one of my mates, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it's nice to see. Yeah, he's wonderful, Craig. He's wonderful. Yeah. So, Phil, thank you so much for sharing your Thanks, story. Dave. And again, your, your, the film Boiling Point is that's going to stick with me forever i think it was a journey that was fantastic so should be very proud of yourself thank you mate i really appreciate it yeah and one day i might get meet you soon definitely yeah absolutely absolutely love to come on again it's you know it's it's been it's been amazing to you know i've been doing a lot of these podcasts and and interviews and stuff for the film and stuff but it's so liberating sometimes to just be open about you know 
and I, I've always been open about it because I've got nothing to hide. You know what I mean? And, and I think ultimately, if I, if I can help anybody, you know, that, that is struggling or whatever, then that's that's what I want. Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure you you have today, mate, because I've really, really enjoyed today. So Me too. Thank Me you too. So much, mate, and Thanks, um, catch you soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, mate. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, Sober Dave, on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there, you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.